the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Welcome to Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour. I'm your host as always, Cooper Cherry. Uh, just to remind you, we are sponsored by the People's Institute for Revolutionary Semiotics. Um, before I introduce today's guest, of course, want to mention, obviously, with everything that's going on in the world today, um, there's a lot of uncertainty economically. Who knows if uh, any of us will have a job, including myself. So uh, do feel free, if, if you've got the resources, uh, to throw us something, maybe a dollar or something, if you're enjoying the show. And you can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash M-U-H-H. Of course, that stands for Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour. Uh, but today I have uh, have a captive captive guest. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it's uh, Nick at Stellar of the uh, Proletarian Contrarian podcast. He's been on a number of times. Yeah. And uh, like, yeah. so yeah, with the uh, whole quarantine situation, <laughs> we don't have much choice, I guess, for this one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I needed a guest this week and, and Nick oh, yeah. was kind enough to oblige. So yeah, I always love being on the show, especially with um, the types of things that we tend to watch some kind of weirdo picks that I end up really liking. <laughs> yeah. So for today's uh, show, we took a look at Darren Aronofsky's 2006 film, The Fountain. A film that I've uh, I've grown to love, though I know there's sort of been a lot of I think this I don't know this film is kind of like a a fifty fifty response from from people usually. Yeah, I I obviously hadn't seen it before this. I had some concept of I guess the narrative around the film, and uh, it, it it was kind of what you just said. Like people either love it or hate it. Um, I can see why both are valid like I, I get i get both perspectives i get why people would be really uh turned off by this film but also why some people would be really wrapped up in it i will say the first time i ever saw the movie i i didn't like it i didn't get it but i think it it took maybe three or four times maybe three times of rewatching it to really gain an appreciation for it and now i think it's i uh, just i mean for a 90 minute film yeah i like the runtime that was good <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I, I liked it first time, so I guess I'm ahead of the curve here. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, densely packed thematically. Yeah. Um, I mean, the production quality from sound it's wild. Um, yeah, it's it's from score to the visuals to the editing. Even I some in some mundane stuff like the the conquistador costuming and like their their props in the in the uh, sets and that sequence looked very good. Was this your first... You've seen other Aronofsky films, right? Uh, um, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's about it. What's interesting, I think, here is that I think Aronofsky overall has a reputation for building movies and experiences that are really, I think, uniquely visceral. Mm. Uh, and I think anyone who's seen Requiem for a Dream yes. <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. 
Yeah, that that definitely holds true, um, especially after seeing this. Um, I, I know he he kind of his reputation kind of mirrors what I perceive this film's reputation to be. Um, people either people feel really strongly about him. They either really like his work or they really don't. Um, there's not much middle ground as far as I'm aware, but yeah, um, I totally get the, the visceral emotion over, um, like a plot driven perspective more so. I don't know if I would even, I would say that I'm just talking kind of more broadly because I'm thinking in particular Requiem, but also mother were two films of his that I've seen that were like, yeah, you know, I don't, they're so taxing. (laughs) (laughs) This one I think is far less taxing on kind of like this certain like basic level of yeah. like repulsion and like self-loathing that you get from a film like Requiem yeah. and just the like kind of in batshit insane perspective uh, that you get in, in Mother. I've heard a lot of things about Mother. It's, it seems like <laughs> quite the film. It's an experience. Yeah. It's like a visceral experience. Have and you- for that alone, I, I like it. But yeah, I think there's to some degree a little bit of overlap maybe thematically like very broadly speaking but sure um just a tiny bit have you seen his noah movie that i haven't seen i'm really curious about that especially yeah it might have seen right this just now um the, the idea of like because bi- biblical movies are kind of like dime a dozen to a degree but the idea of like an old testament biblical story um from from the mind of this guy like yeah. treating it as literal th- it seems like there's a lot to go on there so just before we dive in here, too, so you haven't you haven't even seen Black Swan or anything like that? No, no, oh, interesting. Uh, I know the gist of Black Swan. I, th- that's the thing. Like, I know the gist of all these movies, but like the idea isn't knowing. I mean, for any movie, but spe- specifically for a more emotive director like this, it, it's not about watching the plot points go by. It's about actually watching the screen. Um, so yeah, I, I've never really seen any other Aronofsky. So one kind of interesting thing about the movie is that it was originally going to have a much bigger budget and was going to start uh, Brad Pitt, actually. I cannot imagine that. (laughs) That would be so different. So they significantly scaled back the movie um, and it had, I think, the budget wound up being $35 Interesting. Which is pretty low, I think. Um, But this was a pretty, you know, not a lot of, you know what I mean? You had... Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot of, I guess, huge sets and really like pretty pretty low in terms of like even extras and shit like that. Yeah, they they get a lot of mileage out of everything yeah, in it. For sure. Um but let's jump into who actually did wind up starring in the film. Yeah. Hugh Jackman, of course, outstanding. Yep. Rachel Weitz, um, Ellen Burstyn, <laughs> Ethan Sue Please. Yeah, some uh, Boy Meets World, I think. Yeah. Like he was a child actor from that show. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like I remember him most as the like racist kid in uh, what is American History X? American History. Yeah, he's in that. And what is it? Uh, remember the Titans? Yes. He, <laughs> he, he, he's quote unquote the fat one. From yeah. Remember the Titans. yeah. He just like typecast as like the fat guy, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen McHattie as the Inquisitor, I thought was. Uh, just a really just a tiny like maybe three or four lines in yeah. the movie but Strong he has presence. yeah oh god he had a perfect amazing presence and yeah. voice um so he was a, a real treat um mark margolis or Hell yeah. mac no it's mark it's mark 
Um, he he was the shadow from Scarface, the one that kills Scarface, the one that kills Tony oh, Montoya. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, interesting. Okay, I he, forgot about that. He's also uh, Hector Salamanca in Breaking Bad. Uh, he is the landlord in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, <laughs> as well. <laughs> oh yes. Um, who else do we have? Uh, we've got uh, Cliff Curtis. Oh, we he was one of the soldiers. He's like the guy that led the. Um, what was it? Kind of the mutiny whenever they were actually right, in right. the new world looking for the temple. Right, yeah, his, his traitorous, conquistador's traitorous friend. But he's been in yeah. a ton, I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff. He was in... Yeah, he, he's one of those... Sunshine, he's in... Familiar faces I'd uh, seen. What's the fucking Denzel... Training Day. It's in Training Day. I mean, he's in a ton, a ton of stuff, so... Yeah. Uh, so the... Screenplay actually written by Aronofsky with himself, uh, mm. by himself, um, but it had uh, a story credit to Ari Handel, and uh, also Aronofsky had a story credit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DP was Matthew Libatique, who has credits, <laughs> ironically, on the uh, new DC, newer DC film, Bird of Pre- Birds of Prey. He was the DP on Venom. Hell yeah. <laughs> a Star is Born, Requiem for a Dream, Tigerland, Straight Outta Compton. That is a strange work history, yeah. but it's, it's... I can see it. Just to cover some of his uh, some of the highlights. Have you ever seen Tigerland, by the way? It's a really good movie. No, not, I don't know what that is. Who? It's a uh, it's a Vietnam-era boot camp story okay. starring Colin Farrell. Okay, yeah. No, I've never seen that, but... Really good. Uh Kind of like an indie-ish film, if I remember correctly. Um, of course, the film scored by Clint Mansell, and the score I think is one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. the The way it, I mean, like the idea of a of a film score is that it kind of flows the flows within the emotional beats of the narrative, but like it re- it really did that here. And just like, this is like one of the few film scores that. You know, it's different from like a soundtrack, right? Where right. it's the actual music that he wrote for the film. It's one of the few times that like I can actually listen to a score. And I think particularly there's Death is the Road to Awe is the highlight of yes. this particular uh, score. That That's like when it swells towards the end and kind of all comes yeah, together. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's the scene whenever Tommy, future Tommy is in the space bubble and mm. He yes. is then like basically disintegrates into the tree of life at yes. that point, that kind of crescendo moment. That's the the song that's okay. playing. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, just to note some of the other things that Clint's worked on. Uh, Doom Patrol, <laughs> yes. which is on the DC streaming service, as mm-hmm. well as Titans also on that. Uh, Smoke and Aces, which okay. is actually... <laughs> kind of emotional whiplash here. Yeah. <laughs> But it was funny. I was just talking to you about smoking yeah. aces the yeah, other yeah. day, so I thought that was really funny. And basically, the I mean, he also did. Uh, did he do Requiem? He did Requiem. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. I can. And you can kind of tell some of the more like experimental camera moves. Yeah, yeah, I can. Although they, I think they were more plentiful in Requiem than here. We had a couple of little flourishes here and there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he's frequent contributor to uh, to Aronofsky's visual style. Then we have, I think we, usually I don't acknowledge the editor unless there's some, but I think here you got to give credit to uh, Jay Rabinowitz, who has also edited films such as 8 Mile, 
Ghost Dog and I'm Not There. Yeah, and you also and I also see Requiem here too. Um, so yeah, that I mean the, the editing from Requiem alone, like the infamous kind of schizophrenic editing towards the end. Um, yeah, that all all three of these people, like director, mus- the composer, and the editor here, coming together, um, kind of bouncing from Requiem to this is is like really shows off their their range. I think definitely a lot of time elapsed between Requiem and this, um, but I'll do a little plot summary that I cribbed uh, straight from IMDb because they, uh, it's so hard to like... We we need training wheels for this one. <laughs> we need training wheels just for a, a basic plot summary. So that I don't, yeah, lead everyone in circles. So we've got three stories, one from the past, present, future, about men in the pursuit of eternity with their love. A conquistador in Mayan country searches for the tree of life to free his captive queen, a medical researcher working with various trees looks for a cure that will save his dying wife, and a space traveler traveling with an aged tree encapsulated within a bubble move toward a dying star that's wrapped in a nebula. He seeks eternity with his love. The stories intersect and parallel. The quests fail and succeed. Yeah, that's um, that's as as concise a summary as I could imagine providing for this for this story. But first, uh, as usual, we'll we'll start out with right. the, with the acting here, right? And of course, like I said, uh, Hugh Jackman was our pretty much our lead, and probably had seventy five to eighty five percent of the dialogue in the film. Yeah, it, it's it really focuses on, um, I guess, him like like his different incarnations throughout time and throughout time and space. But um, but yeah, he he's definitely the the heart of this and he sells it he sells it really well i think yeah and i i think i mean let's see jackman was also in another film i've talked about on the podcast which would be uh the prestige right yes 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 which he of course is magnificent in mm-hmm. but i think maybe more range in this film because we've got he does he pulls off so many emotions we've got yeah real like a a seething kind of resentment and anger about about death about grief about loss mm-hmm. um for for me like it, it was interesting seeing him do that because i i know that he's something of like a classically trained actor and he can yeah. he can sing and dance and everything but i i, I honestly primarily know him just as wolverine <laughs> um and he, he's not bad as wolverine but just he doesn't get the chance to shine to this degree um he doesn't get that range and he he knows it um I mean, crying is like notoriously difficult to sell on camera, but he he seems heartbroken when he's crying um, a couple different times in the movie. Yeah, the and then different modes of crying, like yeah. the the grief stricken husband mm-hmm. who's lost his spouse, but then also like crying, like the tears of joy as he kind of yes. finally kind of reconciles like his own acceptance of death and like the sort of cycle of rebirth and and, yeah. and unity and singularity and things like that so um a couple of mom- moments that stood out for me just in terms of the dialogue with him i'm kind of like he's got this very like resolute i'm gonna i'm gonna stop aging i'm gonna yeah. stop dying i'm gonna defeat death gonna death is, is a disease and i'm gonna find the cure he's yeah. so resolute and like angry and mm-hmm. i don't know you just and it was at his wife's funeral too um but and he sells like the sadness beneath that too at the same time. 
another moment that he pulled off really well was it was kind of Izzy was asking him like she's writing this book that kind of acts as maybe the narrative glue that sort of ties the film together is mm -hmm. Izzy's writing this book and she's the wife played by Rachel Weitz and she's talking about or she's written this book about the conquistador who is trying to save his queen. Yep. And um, crucially, she leaves the last chapter blank for, for um, Jackman to finish. So she's telling Jackman, also known as Tommy, to finish finish the book. And he says, I don't know how, <laughs> but it's yes. like so he's so good at portraying like this sadness, like his voice cracks. Right. Because he, he doesn't know how to go on without her. And that's what he's saying. Exactly. Exactly. It totally works. Um. But yeah, I mean, those are just a couple of moments. It's hard to even. <laughs> Another thing he does really well is um, he, of course, plays the three versions of Tommy, the past, present and future. Um, and all three of them, they're all after the same thing, but they all seem like different people, too. Um, the Conquistador is different from the Doctor, who's different from the Cosmonaut. Um, yeah, and, and like I said, they're all after functionally the same thing, immortality. Um, but it, even apart from like the superficial differences, like they're, they're doing these different things in past, present, future. Um, they, they just feel like separate, separate entities. And that comes down to like the little, the smaller moments in Jackson's performance. Then we have Rachel Weitz. Um, I think she was, she was good. She was, you know, sympathetic. She was a little bit one dimensional. Like she wasn't the most fully fleshed out character. We just, she's sort of like the foil that provides growth for for tommy yeah um she she's a little flat through no fault of her own it's more the role i think yeah. um oh for sure and, and to be fair the role isn't meant to be right much um she she kind of incarnates through throughout time up to a point alongside tommy um besides the future um yeah, i guess we should point out she is the she portrays the queen and his wife izzy Right, she portrays the Queen of Spain counterpart to the Conquistador, as well as um, Izzy, who's a an author, I presume, um, counterpart to Doctor Tommy. Um, and, and in the future, she appears as flashbacks, kind of hallucinations. Um, yeah, like 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 I was saying, I don't think I think she's certainly a good actress. It's just the role there wasn't that much for her to dig into. You said she was uh, she was dating Aronofsky at the time of the the film was produced. Yes, they started dating in 2001, uh, and they were engaged, and they have a son together. All, like, they were engaged all throughout 20, uh, all the way up to 2010. Interesting. Was he also dating Jennifer Lawrence when they did Mother? He was Mother? dating Jennifer Lawrence oh, when they did Mother. So, like, Aronofsky <laughs> just picks up these incredibly attractive, like, stars, stays with them for a while, puts them into these movies, and then he moves on. <laughs> I guess that's, that's his move. That's wild. Yeah. Um, Ellen Burstyn. Uh, has a tiny, tiny role in the film. She's, I guess she's a also doctor colleague of Tommy's and she has kind of concern for him in, in terms of his like reaction to, yeah. to Izzy's illness and sickness and kind of like she recognizes this sort of obsession with overcoming death and like this resoluteness that he has against death is like this enemy that has to be conquered. Right. Instead of one that I think the film is trying to portray is like this notion of like coming to terms with being 
in this cycle sort of of life and death and how death is the road to awe yeah that, to tie that, it all together yeah that's like the arc words that kind of tie everything together um yeah, Burson was good. She reminded me a little bit of Elizabeth Warren, like yeah. just kind of purely, purely superficially, yeah. and and but I guess even in her like affect, a little bit in her cadence. Yeah, yeah, yeah the she cadence has that. Uh, but I mean, of course, her role in Requiem is just like I'm gonna be on television. Yeah. Oh my Jesus Christ! <laughs> the haunting shit. Yeah, that's um. But yeah, no, she she's good in this, and her like you were saying, her role is is definitely to be as a foil to Tommy, um, to some degree, but also kind of neglected mentor figure um and she also has this connection to izzy as izzy's dying because she gets along and she's like oh she's so wonderful like the last time she ever sees her and she gives the um the eulogy at her funeral too um so yeah again not not much there this movie is like jesus 80 percent dialogue comes from jackman um yeah. but vice and and burston the the smaller parts the smaller things that they bring to their smaller roles are they're memorable any other acting roles or anything that kind of caught your eye out? Um, Mark Margolis, he he was good. Um, it's almost like I don't want to call it a glorified cameo, but it's almost like a character. Yeah. It's almost like a part for a character actor, right? Um, Which I mean, he kind of is. Yeah, he he is. Um, he what he plays um, a Franciscan monk in the past segment with the conquistador, and he leads the conquistador to the hidden temple. Um, and when, when he was like figuring out where the temple is based on like the, the, the inscription of the knife and finding the carvings in the ground, that was cool. That was good. He, um, he seemed like fanatical in the way he didn't even let his death stop him from relaying that information. Uh, moving on to the cinematography of the film, which I think combined with the, with the score together, those are just, I mean, I think that alone just makes this. This is why. This is why you watch this watch. movie. Yeah. yeah. The yeah the, and especially on that small budget, the in for a two thousand six film on that relatively limited budget to get this kind of um. The the effects and they don't look shitty, is pretty wild. Um, I'm thinking specifically of like the the cosmos traveling through the space in the future segment. So they did a lot of macroscopic photography and i want to say that it was these kind of like silver or i don't know if you've ever messed with uh like you can take a transparency and kind of put like oil and glitter and, and shit like that on okay. it and you can like project that um it was something that like was kind of common like during the 60s and like right i've even been to some shows here in austin that had uh that have like a psychedelic kind of vibe to them and that's kind of oh, what yeah. they did they project this out so okay. it's similar to that i think that's how they achieved the effects for the um for the nebula that had that kind of weird golden like and they may have even used like silvers colloidal silver or something like that that has a kind of weird kind of clumping oily like viscous sort of flow to it and that's interesting because um one one of the prominent uh I don't even want to call it a theme, but just like moods throughout this movie is like this idea of metatextuality and um, space Jackman, when he's like mixing all these tinctures together to try to create like um, his daily sustenance, that is what my mind jumped to when you were describing like the idea of um, using these colloidal, like colloidal silvers together to project this image onto the screen. But uh, 
Yeah, the the inserts, the close-ups, the match cuts, just a absolutely brilliantly composed film visually. Mm-hmm. Um, the the repetitive shots in different contexts, what were just a really a great way to like kind of unify all these yeah. like these three different storylines. There was repetitive. There was like a, this three tripartite kind of mm-hmm. structure that flowed through like repetitive bits of dialogue or shots or things like that that sort of were narratively and visually linking each of these time periods together yeah there were um there were a couple here that i noted uh there are looking at a subject um either from the back or from directly overhead um, was a common repetitive um image and specifically, there, there's one sec. There's one section where someone's riding down the road, and the camera's looking down the road upside down. Oh yeah, and then it follows that. That was a really great it, one. Yeah, as it passes beneath. <clears throat> that was definitely something that reminded me of Requiem a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, that was a really cool, cool move. Something you don't see all that frequently. Mm-hmm. Although it's not, you know, it's definitely it, not the first time it's been done. Sure, but, but like just the, the taking that and then linking the two parallel stories is is pretty neat. Um, and then of course we kind of look up for, from, from, abo- from, a ab- from above the subject, looking down at them. Um, that happens quite a few times in, in all three, um, in all three, Timelines. yeah, segments. Um, I think something I noticed just in terms of Aronofsky in particular, maybe this film, I, I don't know if I remember any of the other ones well enough, but I definitely feel like the, the I can feel the influence of Kubrick and this one in particular. I can see that. I, I did get um, very vague vibes of like 2001 A Space Odyssey just because the, the, different, the different time eras and like this kind of follow through this motif that follows these motifs that follow um, the camera through the different timelines of past, present, future. So the, the two things that stood out for me that kind of tied this to Kubrick are one, this kind of uh, this one point perspective that you see throughout the film Uh, that, and these very like in terms of the composition of the shots, they're very like formalist, very like balanced frame. Like there's a lot of symmetry Mm -hmm. in them. And uh, you know, maybe that's why I like this movie. It's it's so so perfect. It's got that Kubrick style that I just, have always been drawn to. I mean, that Kubrick visual style is just, I, I love it. That's why I'm a Kubrick fan. Right. Yeah. Like set, setting up um, the set like very carefully and then having the camera ve- like very deliberately where it needs to be. And there, there's never just like dumb continuity shots that are thrown in to connect things. It's always, you see specifically exactly what you want to see. And it's, it's very carefully constructed. Yeah. That, that is a good point. Um, pulling on that theme, like the opening of the film is we get this, I don't know if it's, necessarily i don't know if it's a, maybe a zoom out or a tracking shot of this sort of ornamental cross and like it's it's so there's a cross on top of almost like a sun and it's sort of got these ray rays in quotes oh. that are kind of going out from this kind of central point that ha- I don't even know what it is. It looks weird. It's like it. I think I know. Is it, I think I know what it is. is it hair? Yeah. I, well, I think I know what it is. Um. So the the device is um. Oh, fuck. I forget what it's called, but it's a thing from. It's a Catholic thing, and you you hold 
it's it's like a crucifix in right in the middle there's like a little a little like compartment where you can hold the holy communion in there um but i think um conquistador jackman put um a lock of her a lock of the queen's hair in there yeah that tracks okay that's what i was that's kind of what i was thinking Mm. but it was so weird because then like later on you see it and it's got i don't know if it's supposed to be the same one or not but it's got like a chunk of like this yellow amber yeah in the center yeah, I'm not sure if that means he 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 cast it in amber or something like to to preserve it or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, that that was striking. And I think when we are introduced to to the conquistador in this scene, where we come looking directly down at him like that, that that's kind of like how we're introduced to um, him and the spaceman. And the shot of the Mayan priest looking back. At you yeah. um, through so it's whenever Jackman ascends to the top of this Mayan pyramid basically mm-hmm. and there's this kind of long corridor and on the other side it's kind of brightly lit and we have this Mayan priest who's got this elaborate headdress on and it's a really good I guess silhouette shot of him and like the yeah. depth of the hallway and like the silhouette and the sun is kind of like yeah, obscuring his yeah. face like directly behind him yeah he looks like a fiery demon or something um and then let's see another moment visually that was i think one of my favorite definitely one of my favorite in the film is when it's future tommy is doing like martial arts or tai chi or something yes and he's like he's in black like his silhouette is moving doing all the move movement and it's obscuring the stars behind him, but you just see like his silhouette. You don't actually see his, his like him physically, like his right. skin or anything like that. Yeah, that that was very striking. Um, yeah, that w- I'm, I'm kind of surprised it didn't pop up more because that was that, that's such a striking image, and it, it's very simple, but like it it conveyed a lot, I think. And then that's the score tied to it. Yeah, was just out. incredible. Um, to skip to the end, the the big obvious one when when spaceman Tommy he he kind of has has his like tra- like final epiphany transubstantiation he he bursts into flame because the the star goes nova. Um, but as he's approaching the star inside the nebula, it looks just like this painting by William Blake called um, "God Bless in the Seventh Day." It's like this circle of fire and light with God in the middle. In like just so bright you can like kind of hit kind of his features get washed out uh, i don't know if that was a deliberate um illusion but i i could see it for aronofsky yeah i definitely know the i know the painting you're referring to for sure because i'm a big blake i'm a fan of yeah especially I could, his i could see painting that. is yeah crazy incredible yeah the ancient of days is, i think is one of my favorite ones which actually kind of like even that it is reminiscent because god is in that light i don't know if He's in the moon or like he's in this sort of circular thing reaching down from heaven. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this, is, this is the big one. Um, he, when, yeah, the ancient. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, and like uh, he's, he's reaching down from this circle, which is the, like the idea that there's like a bubble traveling through the void. Um, yeah, I, I could totally see Aronofsky being a Blake fan visually as well as just thematically. Um, a couple of moments that I thought were kind of cool were I don't it was whenever Tommy's at the hospital and he looks up and I guess there's this kind of weird skylight 
Yeah. And it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. there's maybe snowflakes that are like landing, but as he looks of it, it like takes on this golden and really yellow yellow lighting is very prominent mm-hmm. throughout the film as well. Like yeah. almost every shot has sort of this golden hue. Definitely yellow yellow mm-hmm. tinged lights and that's what color the color of the nebula Jibalba. Also um there there's definitely visual symmetry between the nebula and the the bark derived from the tree um when when Dr. Tommy has this bark sample and they kind of look at it they look at like the the structure of um it gets kind of techno babbly like I kind of lost it a little bit but like there is some chemical compound from this tree that was discovered obviously in in Central America or whatever um and they're they're deriving some kind of compound from the molecules of the tree and when they look at the molecules in the computer rendition it resembles the nebula nice yeah you always catch shit that i do (laughs) yeah that's awesome um the the lighting in the one sec yeah the the lighting and the overall view of um the the not really the hospital but like the research lab um it really reminded me of some of the earlier seasons of the show house just like the kind of the sepia tones to it in the way that like everything is kind of very clean and, and there's like lots of glass surfaces and i, I like the cinematography in, in the show house so it's <laughs> that's, a, that's a compliment uh let's see i thought one cool another another just example of like this like this visual storytelling that connects all these different these three different timelines one is the queen's chamber whenever tommy or i guess tomas is the conquistador's name so he he goes to visit the queen of spain and uh it's this kind of very elaborate like moorish themed like architecture and everything but there's these like candle lights and they're on strings and they're kind of hanging all the way throughout this hallway which is it's very reminiscent of space of space of the stars yeah so i thought that was a cool little detail yeah that was great um it's one of those things that like you don't know how practical it would be in real life but it looks so good it yeah it you don't think that when you first see it um and i mean that's good i don't mean that as a slight that's like that's not like a backhanded compliment like think things that are impractical but work visually yeah are good i'm all about that yeah um if I'm making a movie, I'm doing it. Like I'm not worried about practicality. Yes. Oh, yes. We're about it's about mood, it's about theme, yes. it's about Agreed. those things. Verisimilitude over over yeah. um, continuity, I would say. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, some other visual similarities there were uh, the the tip of the pen that Izzy gives to Tommy, um, in the way that it draws blood and draws ink respectively, is kind of mirrored through the um, the arrowhead of the crossbow that he almost kills the Inquisitor with. And also the the spears that he and the, like the knives that he stabbed with. Um, this idea that weapons as well as pens draw blood and ink. Um, there was a little bit of visual symmetry there. Um, One interesting thing there, just to get back to I guess the more so story element is the pen that she gives him. So we see basically, I guess it's implied this is the same pen that he's using when he's in the space bubble well that's a question for you what is is space tommy the same tommy um dr tommy in the present or like is that kind of missing the point is it they're like they're all the same person but they're not all literally the same person 
that I don't know. It's yeah, I don't know either. It's, it's so up in the air because that I mean, and I think that in particular is that's the one like continuity thing that seems to link them is because we see Tommy whenever Izzy does pass away. Yep. He's in his he's in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. He knocks over the like she had given him a gift and it was right. the I guess it was a quill. It, it, yeah, it was a quill in um ink. Quill yeah. and ink. So he knocks over the ink well and the ink is running down and like he had lost his wedding band. Right. And then he comes up with the idea to like start to tattoo right. his, the wedding band on his finger with using the the quill. Mm-hmm. And then we get future or at least ostensibly future a Tommy. Future Tommy. <laughs> um that has like up his arms are like Ta- like many many tattoos right i i have a and i hate to use this word in this context a quote-unquote a, a theory as to how this all ties <laughs> together but I, we can we can save that for the writing part sure um but yeah i think that that is a is a clue that maybe there is a continuity from tommy from the two characters there yeah there, there definitely is at the very least emotional continuity yeah, but or I, thematically like is that i don't know if, is it so important even Right, I I do I do have a theory, but we'll say that gotcha. for the for the writing part. Um, as for other visual things, um, this isn't said. This is kind of like left up to your abstract imagination. But um, when Izzy first describes the nebula, she describes it like a ring wrapped around a star, and of course, a ring is another very prominent symbol in this movie. Um, the ring that the queen gives to the con- Tomas, the conquistador. And the ring that re- the the ring of Izzy's that um, Doctor Thomas loses. This shot happened like twice in the movie, but I just loved it too. Is it's an overhead shot of the Queen, and she is moving forward towards Tomas, and there's a pattern on the like the flooring. It's kind of this circular pattern and she moves into it and she kind of like mm. the colors and the pattern of her dress sort of match it yeah. really well yeah yeah yeah. and then we get a couple of good like ah fuck i don't know if they were like match cuts of that too to the um the bubble flying through space yeah yeah the the shape of a circle is very prominent throughout the whole movie um rings bubbles um the, the the window that he first sees the, the the shape of the snow in um and of course like the the idea of like a circle is the circle of life like starting with birth and going to death and it's all all the same that totally is prominent throughout visually i think the just so many of the inserts and the were like really good shots um and the close-ups but things like yeah. uh, a couple of like recurring motifs visually were like his hand um touching like the small of Izzy's back yeah but also like the tree and the trees like little hairs yeah the fibers in the tree respond to to his touch they kind of like move um that's in there that's a couple of different times and then one time like the tree is like dying and basically it doesn't move as well right it doesn't really respond um yeah for sure. Um, but like also like him uh, eating the bark, like they get a good shot of like the actual yes. bark. 
he's got this like little chunk of the bark and he puts it on his tongue. And it's just mm-hmm. like little moments like that visually are just great. And of course with the editing. Right. Cause like you, you, you could show just, cause I, I think leading up to that shot that you just described of, of Tommy putting the bark in his tongue, like it, it was just like this kind of farther away shot of him doing that. But then we get, we jump up to that reaction, that depiction of him actually doing it. And it just, it just adds so much more to show like the pores on Hugh Jackman's face as, as he opens his mouth and puts it in his, puts it on his tongue. Um, yeah, just very, very careful, carefully edited it. That little pickup shot just carefully edited in there added so much. And then I think my favorite part of the whole film and maybe it's even more so just like the way that the visuals tie in with the music, with the way that the music swells, but it's whenever Tommy, um, I guess, basically gets absorbed or like he's basically uh, not incinerated, but he's kind of like vaporized like right. to a degree by this um, supernova mm-hmm. and his body kind of like enters this. He's almost like in this like cross-like, Christ-like Oh yeah, there's more Christ-like like crucif- too. Yeah, cruci- crucifix. Yeah, like his body, he like leans his head back and his arms are out. Yeah, and he kind of gets liquefied, and his body mm-hmm. basically uh, rehabilitates or like rejuvenates the tree of life that he it's- had been traveling with, which was like dying and like dead and didn't have any like foliage or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But um, it sort of absorbs and like blossoms and turns green again to rejuvenate things and this kind of weird like singularity and and restoring the tree of life to to its to its fullness yeah that um and that sequence is kind of what tied it together to me for the for the william blake reference like connection there um just the idea of like a, a person turning into this like like shower this this sparkle dust of gold just falling across a tree that's just like so primordial of an image i don't know it 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 really it ties it, it ties everything together because that's a climax but like it it's shot in, in a not goofy way <laughs> it would just be so easy to mishandle that i think but it, it really comes across i just actually had this made this connection is the the conquistador not the conquistador the uh, inquisitor hmm. has a bit of dialogue where he says something about uh, when, whenever we die, we return to ash. Damn. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 He does say that. He says that, and um, visually, kind of the the last time we see him when he's has all the prison the prisoners of the Inquisition being hoisted up above the torture pit. That that kind of in like the way they fall. That kind of almost um, foreshadows what happens to space space Tommy. Anything else in terms of cinematography that you wanted to uh, to bring up? Nothing specific. I, I think we kind of covered the covered the gamut of like sp- specific particular shots as well as kind of more overarching, broader things. Yeah, um, editing. I just think the film was really well edited. Um, again, the, the like the match cut from the queen's dress and floor pattern to the cross that uh, Tomas kneels before. It's just one example, but there's like so many in the movie that really give it a rich like visual experience overall. Um, the inserts, the match cuts, I think were just really good and 
and really created like this very cohesive like visual motif and this this repetition that I really think uh, rounded out the film. Yeah, I think the only bad thing I have to say about the editing was there were a couple of um, scene transitions where it would fade to black and then there would be a beat of, of just the black screen and it felt a little too long. Um, it, not, nothing that was bad enough to take me out of the movie or anything, but it just there there were at least, I want to say two yeah, or three. Probably, I, I kind of remember two or least yeah it almost seemed like fading to black for a commercial break or something like (laughs) right yeah but but yeah but nothing nothing that took me out of the film as a whole um just if like they had tightened up one those one those one or two things i wouldn't have even noticed it in terms of writing um really dialogue wise not a lot of there's not a lot of Mm, like outstanding nothing in particular that's like very moving like there's not a lot of flourish in terms of dialogue and i don't think there has to be i think um it's a very visual visual movie um there there is dialogue that carries it forward but i don't want to say it's it's like like journeyman kind of hack dialogue that that's doing it a disservice it's very but sparse. it's i mean it's not it's very that's one thing direct. too is i thought that i feel like some of the criticism i had read about the movie is that it was sort of heavy-handed in a sense but i'm going back and like looking at like the, watching it i didn't feel like the dialogue was imp- like i didn't feel like it was very like over like beating themes over your head maybe like i mean i think you could maybe say that just about some of the other stylistic elements but mm. dialogue wise no the dialogue just was it was, it was a vehicle it just yeah, co- conveyed it, you from moment to moment really yeah not nothing just crazy but i mean that just goes to show you how yeah we're actors and like directing right um come into play for for you know what i mean and not yeah. every movie has to be like you know what i mean there's different different ways you can construct a really great film yeah and in this movie definitely relies on the visuals and the music um and the acting more so than the dialogue, and that is fine. That's not like a, that's not like a that's not a weakness. That that some movies some movies are more visual auditory treats or yeah. vi- visual auditory um, experiences than they are story driven. Yeah, because I'm thinking like obviously something like a Tarantino movie is right. obviously going to be known for its dialogue. He's right. less known for his visuals. Mm-hmm. Although he does have some pretty striking right. visuals too, he but does have some striking. But I don't unbal- think on balance, yeah. not on not on like the level. I don't know. He's not the kind of visual Kubrick. filmmaker that Aronofsky is. Sure, yes. you know what I mean. Like, the, I think Aronofsky is very much s- steeped in like that sort of director of photography, where kind of lens or like that visual sense. Whereas uh, someone like Tarantino is obviously like more in in terms of like quips and diet. Like, there's a certain Right. Yeah. And that I think having more polished dialogue would almost be a disservice to this movie. It would, it would work against it. Um, the dialogue is very, it, it's, it's almost like archetypal, like it, especially in the sequences with, um, with the conquistador, like it making it more character specific would take away from the significance of what we see, I think. Um, so, so the, the sparseness and the directness and the, if you will, heavy-handedness of the dialogue, I think, is entirely in keeping with the with the tone. 
Now, writing in terms of the the story structure, I think that's where maybe the the film or the writing shines in a sense, or maybe not. God, I don't know. Like the storytelling, right. the story part of it is where because mm-hmm. we have first like the book that is Izzy's book is kind of the maybe the centerpiece of the of the story yeah. that kind of binds things together so to I, some degree, right? Or at least maybe that's a qu- open question is like... Well, I guess this is my time where I can um, where I can present my, my theory of like what, of, 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 of what's going on. So basically present day, Dr. Tom, he gets this book from his wife who dies and he, he reads the book and he finishes the last chapter. I think the only thing that quote unquote literally happens is the present day timeline. Okay. The the depictions of the conquistador going to Central America and going on his quest is Tommy reading the book. Right. In his That's mind. imagination. Yes. Right. And then okay. him and then the space traveler is him writing the last chapter to the book. It's him writing the last chapter to the book allegorically. Okay. And maybe I mean maybe literally maybe that's what he writes. Maybe he does like this crazy 2001 Space Odyssey time jumps time skip thing. But it's it's him emotionally doing what he he needs to do to write the last chapter. And so I, I think that structure like that three what is it tripartite I think I'm saying that I'm using the right word. Uh, you you call it like a triptych. A triptych um, of the conquistador, the present Tommy and the future Tommy at least nominally, um, I think was a really interesting kind of narrative device. And the way that they, that like they built everything around that with the repetition of dialogue and the repetition of visuals was all very extremely well done. Yeah. Um, I guess, um, the one criticism I did have of the, of the writing and specifically the dialogue before we get off that, um, too, too much, is some of the dialogue when the doctor version of Thomas was um, was discussing with his colleagues like the his his idea for a cure to cancer basically um, that sounded and again to call call back to house I guess it sounded almost like techno babble and like I, I just did not follow it whatsoever just like just throwing out a lot of like science jargony terms um, all of which basically just t- tells the audience hey he has an he has a potential cure. Like yeah. that—that's all we needed to know. Right. And it just—it it felt very out of place. Gotcha. All right. So yeah, I, I mean, I guess writing would be the, or should we, should we say, should we theorize in writing, or should we theorize when it comes down to themes? I think maybe writing would be potentially the place to to do that better. What do you to, think? Uh, to theorize what? Oh, just on like okay, because we talked about. Oh, you would get you gave your theory, mm-hmm. which I think yeah, let's like, do it here. It kind of makes sense. Um, the, like it's the only I'm like I'm totally. I think that's a very valid reading of it, and maybe the correct one. Um, I don't see a whole lot to to like draw away from that, other than mm-hmm. the 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 actual pin being present in the Tommy timeline and the future Tommy timeline. Um, yeah, no, I, I would just imagine that he imparts some of himself into the character oh, yeah. that he writes. Okay. I yeah. that, that definitely makes sense. Because in particular, again, that one thing that we notice, and this is great visual storytelling, is that we see Tommy giving himself that uh, that tattoo of the yeah. wedding band. Yeah. 
And then in the future, we see Tommy and he's got up both arms. Yeah, just covered in tattoos and implying that he's done this endlessly throughout the ages or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, Since he... and. Like, I don't know, it, it doesn't make sense narratively or, like, linearly in terms of plot, but I wonder, well, I was going to say, I guess that doesn't make sense, though, because the Thomas, the conquistador character, mm-hmm. drinks, he does find the the, the tree of the tree life, of life, basically, yeah. and he drinks, drinks, cum. Drink, drinks the, <laughs> the sap and, like, basically gets turned into plants yeah i think um uh and they actually set that up so well too because like he finds this tree and he's like victorious and he, he's conquered he's conquered his enemies and he got he got the quest done with and he um he stabs the tree and some of the some of the sap drips on the ground and a flower sprouts up he's like oh this is beautiful a miracle hallelujah um and so he drinks the sap and he has like this epiphany and then the plants it, it turns horrible all of a sudden and yeah. like he just convulses and then like these plants grow from outside from, from within him because he was wounded by the the uh, mayan priest he got stabbed in the stomach crucially and abdomen. one of one of christ's wounds in the stigmata oh interesting yeah because because christ has the five stigmata wounds he his both his hands got pierced both his feet gets pierced and he also gets pierced by the lance on his side oh nice yeah so he rubs some of the sap on that first and it yeah. starts to heal mm. and he notices that. And that's when he goes for the full Monty and starts just guzzling. Yep. <laughs> um, and then just uncontrollable, just sprout like flowers sprout from him, which also is a visual allusion to cancer because cancer is an unc- uncontrollable growth of cells of malignant cells and they take over and kill you. Which of course, Izzy, the present day doctor, uh, Thomas's wife dies of cancer. So, just in terms of production too, something interesting is they like to pull that scene off. They like, they actually had people's hands like that were like pushing up the the flowers and shit. That's great. They were growing up, I think. Like through the fake ground. Yeah, I guess yeah. they had some, I don't know how, like I never found out in terms of production, like literally exactly mm. how they manifested that scene. But they, I definitely read, okay, they were like somehow using like people's hands basically to push up these flowers and that's kind of like outlined his what would have been his body or his corpse right i guess because i was wondering like so okay because i was going to say maybe tommy is the conquistador like literally Mm. but okay that's probably that doesn't quite fit but maybe later on i guess maybe the implication is that he eats the or like does eat some of the bark of the tree and then so so you're you're and that's how he like if you're if you're if you're tracking on this theory that he present day tommy and future tommy are the Mm -hmm. same individual and that is a linear like and that's not like a symbolic or allegorical right like a continuation of the same person actually is the same person yeah because um we it is apparent that future tommy or, or space Tommy is in the future at some point. It's just unclear as to how much because Dr. Tommy is definitely very much present day, like contemporaneous. Yeah. Um, and the conquistadors is like during the Spanish inquisition. So that that's like a, not, not specifically a hard date, but it's like pretty, pretty certain of when that happens. But, um, but yeah, we, we don't really have like a specific time frame for future space Tommy. Uh, I, I just imagine it's sometime far in the future. Yeah. 
just based on the implication of like the tattoos that he has on his on his arm in particular and traveling through space which and that was kind of neat too the idea of like just this his ship his vessel through space is just literally a bubble and that's it um and he he filled it kind of like a third of the way up with dirt and planted a tree and it's kind of like a terrarium um it's it's like this self-contained little microcosm of of earth just floating through the void it was very cool I think too something that I wanted to point out on this like this this continuity theory of Tommy being the same present and future is Izzy recounts the story of her Mayan guide mm-hmm. referencing okay his her, the guide's father had passed away and they planted the son planted a tree in the grave and said um you know go if you dig up the father, his his body won't be there or whatever. Mm. It's the tree. And then we do see Tommy dig up and plant this little tree bud over her grave. Right, yeah. And I don't, and again, I, I'm i not, it's not abundantly clear to me whether or not, the, you know what I mean? Like you said, it could be this allegory, but I can see there's room to, I think, speculate that the tree that grows out of Izzy's grave mm-hmm. is this is the implied to be the tree the tree that goes to space that he yes yeah yeah um and that's why like he's talking to the tree and it respond like that's the kind of continuity there at least mm-hmm. thematically too um the biggest wrinkle for me that was tough to to wrap my head around was um when conquistador gets stabbed by the mayan priest at the top of the temple before he reaches the tree of life um the the mayan priest stabs him in the stomach and he's wounded um the conquistador is wounded he falls to his knees he's about to be killed by the mayan but then future space tommy makes an apparition to the mayan and the mayan is struck with like this religious awe and he bows down he's like oh yep you're you're the first father you are the creator of all life i didn't recognize you i'm sorry and then he lets the conquistador who reappears kill him. Um, yeah, just like what the fuck? Like what, what is <laughs> um, that? That's why I think the past and the future aren't literally happening. Okay. Um, that. Oh, okay. Cause that, yeah, that does actually give a little bit of credence to your theory that that's the way that Tommy, it's the, the space shit is. Tommy finishing the story. Yeah, it, it, it's his emotional journey of finishing the story and him having that emotional realization at the climax of the story that Izzy wrote right, um, okay. is what allows him to pass through that that final gate, that literal literal gate and, and be um and, and finish the story. Which is also about like this sort of acceptance of, of his own mortality yes. and, and like Which is why the Conquistador dies. Because the conquistador, as well as Tommy, well, the conquistador dies, but that's Tommy realizing that death is inevitable and it's not not something to live in fear of. Right. It's the road. Death is the road to awe. Yes, and who the Mayan priest is one. Mayan says priest that, says yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Um, another interesting kind of thing narratively is the repetition of and i think it happens three times is the three instances where izzy asked tommy to come outside into this into the first snow with her yes 
So the first time he says, no, I've got, I forget, he's like. I'm busy. Yeah, he's busy yeah. with his, his work. He's ostensibly doing the research mm -hmm. with, uh, like they're doing, they have this monkey that they're testing these cancer treatments on. And yeah. obviously his motivation is, I think it's implied that his motivation is obviously to try to figure out a cure to save Izzy. The clock is ticking and so forth there. So we see that. So that happens like early on in the film. And then we have another time, maybe towards the middle or towards maybe the, it's the hard. beginning of the third act. Yeah. And then later on, almost towards the end of the film. Very, it is like the end of the film, I think. He does decide finally to join her. Mm-hmm outside and maybe that too is like i mean that's obviously the realization of you know time is precious right right i should you know enjoy her presence while i can yeah rather than focusing on on work so that's like the self-actualized tommy finally yeah realizing what's kind of really important yeah and kind of driving home that um that ironic like that tragic irony is um his his research does yield um some promising treatments in terms of like curing cancer but it's he learns of this literally right after as he does um in that that kind of interplay of like working really hard and finally making this miraculous breakthrough oh yeah that's but it like a double just wasn't soon enough yeah, yeah yeah it was <laughs> you had a good note though here i think I'll, I'll, you were talking about um this bit of dialogue, all these years, all these memories, it's been you, Tommy. You pulled me through time. Or was that me? <laughs> I believe that was you, because I don't remember who said that. Well, it must have been, it must have been Izzy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see. Any other uh, writing or story stuff you want to call out? Uh, brief things. Um, Tommy's name. Uh, th there's a lot of Christian imagery in this movie, and I can get onto why I think that's important when we get to themes. But... Um, the, the disciple Thomas was doubting, doubting Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. And that of course makes sense with Tommy. Um, the constellation cancer in the sky is I think five dots, but it like five stars that form kind of a shape, but um, it very prominently has four dots that kind of make a triangle. And I don't know what the specific constellation that they used to find that Mayan temple was. Oh yeah. It's definitely, it's a Orion for sure. Okay. Okay. So that was, it was part of Ryan. I, I thought it was an illusion, like this very vague and like backhanded allusion to cancer and just the, the thematic name. Oh, in that would have been interesting. Yeah. Like, like not like this super deep lore, but just like this kind of synchronicity that just, just happens to make sense in a, in a way like that. Yeah. That would have been interesting for sure. Um, maybe two on the nose potentially, but yeah. Um, so the, it was definitely Orion and there is a nebula in Orion's belt. It's not, it's called the Orion Nebula. Um, and nebulas aren't always caused by, um, what, do you, what do you call it, supernovas. Yeah. Um, there's different types of nebulas. I think there's three or four different types. And I think there's only one that has anything to do with a star's death. But it's been a long time since I've taken uh, astronomy. 
Yeah, I'm I'm unsure of all of that. I just know nebulae are are huge and they're just amorphous gas gas shapes. Um but what what's significant about this one is it 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 wraps around the star and Izzy comments on how like on how fitting it was that the Mayans just happened to pick a star to represent their god when that star is an old star that's dying, but also will be reborn into a new star because of it, it, it would go supernova inside the nebula. I mean, I guess it's not, not important, but, um, about the nebula. Um, another thing that of note just miscellaneously is the, uh, Tommy's name is Creo, which in Spanish creer is, I believe, and Creo would be, I believe, so that's an interesting, interesting. like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. An interesting contrast with Doubt, like, doubting Thomas. That is that is, one, believe, that is completely right? like the, intentional. Yeah, that's great. Sure. Uh, let's see. I don't have anything else in terms of miscellaneous stuff. We can delve into some of the themes. Yeah, you have you have a lot of good pulls here that you added. Um, so one one thing I like in, to bring some philosophy into it is this sort of reminded me especially because it had the past, present, and future structure of, uh, let's see, it's Henri Bergson. Okay. Um, so a very influential philosopher on Deleuze in particular. Nice. Um, because he has this concept of like of time that's called duration. Mm-hmm. And in in this concept of duration, there are no distinct moments so he's like kind of he talk, talks about how when it comes to time like you can keep you can divide like a moment like an instance when something happens like you can keep subdividing that moment right into like smaller and smaller and smaller increments it's like Zeno's paradox yeah exactly but you will never like you'll never reach that like singularity Smallest, so it's yeah. absolutely very much like the same thing as Zeno's paradox and as well another aspect of duration and of course this is probably going to be i'm probably going to fuck this up a little bit (laughs) because it's a it's complicated um is the way that the past sort of does the past exists in the present because you experience those memories in the present yes um yes and that is why i think the events happening in the past of this movie, the conquistador events is Jackson or is Tommy in the present reading this and imagining these things as he's moving forward in time. Yeah. And that, and that's interesting too, because in, in that schema, the past existing in the present as, as you think of memories in the past, um, what, where does that leave the future just as this unformed, void let me read let me read this this might kind of sure this is something i pulled just from like the standard dip like encyclopedia of philosophy um that i think maybe will address this question sure so when he's talking about duration it involves multiplicity and a qualitative multiplicity consists in temporal heterogeneity in which several conscious states are organized into a whole 
permeate one another and gradually gain a richer content. I'm really confused. (laughs) Well, so this is okay. So there's a multiplicity of, of heterogeneity. So heterogeneous stuff are, are differences. Sure. So we have our three different characters, our three different arcs or Mm -hmm. whatever timelines, et cetera, et cetera. So, those three different states are organized into the whole, the whole of the narrative story, right? They, they permeate one another. So they're all yeah. like involved. Like, you know what I mean? There's like a, there's certain Te- textually, visually yeah, involved. Yeah. 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 And gradually gain this richer content. So like, I feel like this quote actually like Encapsulates really everything. describes like the sort of thematic, structure of, of yeah. the whole film in a real a really interesting way that is a good pull that, that kind of ties it that kind of ties everything together emotionally too um like maybe and this kind of says too like maybe it's not so important literally yeah. if they are if there's like a continuity but and and that's why i was kind of annoyed with myself for <clears throat> for using like oh um, the, i have a theory of how it all makes sense because like i i kind of resist <clears throat> i kind of resist and resent that kind of like YouTube way of decoding films, like trying to bring this very pedantic plot and analysis to like the, the proceedings that you see on screen. Like that's not why you consume art or movies like that. Yeah. You, the, the emotional verisimilitude of like these stories inter interacting and making this cohesive emotional thing that you can pull from the movie. Like, like that's what you watch. Yeah. That's what films are about. Yeah. Like For that, me, like, yes. I, yeah, I, no, I, I totally agree. In in this quote, um, this is actually a really good quote, and this is actually really interesting because this this quote kind of says that I think um, without being about film. Yeah, I know, which it, which is interesting, and so I wish I had had the time to because something Deleuze does is talk about film quite a bit, and he's obviously he's very much so influenced by by Bergson. So I'd be interested. I need I need to read some of Deleuze's stuff on film because I'd be interested to see how like that might what like avenues for film interpretation that might open up. But I mm-hmm. think to your point, like you're absolutely right. Like I'm not, that is one kind of like the annoying things about forums like Reddit or yes. what have you too, is like, it's the, so like, like plot holes and, and shit like that, yeah. that like, yes, sometimes that shit is clunky and it, it's done poorly. But if the if the like the emotion and the other things are hitting, yeah. I'm not so concerned about that. It only becomes like really noticeable whenever like sometimes it sometimes it is noticeable. Yeah. But it just it just kinda depends. Yeah, I mean I'm not saying like throw away narrative structure oh, altogether. No, no, I'm like, not either. Well, I mean, unless it's like a like an avant garde piece or whatever, but like in in, in a standard movie, yeah, you do need continuity, but that only matters so much as right. as you notice it. Yeah. Um, there, there's kind of that, the the classic example I always go to is in Jurassic Park when the T-Rex um, is pulling down the fence. It's standing on this plane that's like equal with the cars. But then when the cars get tossed off the ridge, there's suddenly this big, huge ravine. Oh, yeah. But like no one ever notices right. that because you don't give a shit because it's a fucking, it's like yeah, yeah. this incredibly great story and in, in this these effects that just make you forget about it. Yeah. Um, good call out. Thanks. <laughs> but like, yeah, and I think 
Hold on. I think one of the motifs that's really thematically relevant is the fact that Izzy is dying from cancer and um, and Dr. Thomas is trying to cure cancer essentially um, because cancer as a disease, it always kind of interested me like this, the symbology of it. Cause like it's literally just too much life happening inside you. It's this explosion of life. It's, it's literally someone dying to give birth to more cells essentially like that's that's how it functions I'm, I'm sure that's like not super scientifically accurate but th- like that is essentially what a tumor is it's right. this, it's like a replication of this mutation mm-hmm. um so when tommy like, like tommy trying to cure that he's essentially trying to cure life which is antithetical to his goal because that's that's what trying to cure death is it, it is an antithesis of life the, the very the very quest for the elixir of life is is ignoring life I could see that in a more like, because I I hate to one another thing to maybe draw on like Bergson and and even like Spinoza here too is like this idea of like there not being so many like there not being this dualistic or like dialectic between uh, life and contradiction death. between everything like there being a more like full like a, a unity. Mm. But that unity being composed, like that unity expressing itself in different modes and different, um, I forget what the other term is, but there's another, it's like modes is one thing. And then sure. there's, uh, I think it starts with a V. It's like, uh, fuck. Anyways, um, but it's kind of this like Spinozist conception of, of the universe all being kind of one substance. And instead of like this dark, this Cartesian dualist, like there being a mind body set, right. like there being a separation rather right. like they are, this, they are, there, there is, is no there is no separation. Functional. Like they are both yeah. part of the whole. Um, and that on a visual sense, when, when space Tommy, when he dies and he kind of burns up and his body turns to dust, that made me think of that quote. God, I think it's, um, Carl Sagan. Um, he said like, oh, like we're all just, we're, we're made of stardust. And so the idea that there is, there is no, there is literally no difference between dying and turning back into your constituent molecules because that will be constructed as something else eventually down the line someday. Which very much, I mean, that's, I think, yeah, that's one of the themes here too, is through that rejuvenation of the tree of life, whenever Tommy's, I guess, vaporized. And then that being the kind of realization that Tommy comes to that finally, like when he does kind of get it and can finish the story mm-hmm. because we, he doesn't, he doesn't know how he tells Izzy, like, I, I don't know how to finish the story right. and it takes him, whether it be like li- <laughs> literally it takes him that long or yeah, like or, metaphorically it takes yeah. him ages and ages to yeah. figure out how to finish the story. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Because he, he finishes the story in the past because he, he, the conquistador doesn't die. He does pass through the last gate and he, he finds the tree of life, even though it kills him. Like the, the story is finished. He finishes it in the future because his body is transubstantiated into gold that rejuvenates a tree. And he finishes it in the present when he, he's able to move on from his wife's death. And that, that so well fits into that Bergsonian yes. kind of like yes. unity of, of time. Mm-hmm. 
I wish I had more time to like read Bergson and there's a little bit of that metatextuality. We wish we had more time yeah, to get into that, this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, here's that quote that I mentioned earlier from the Inquisitor. Our bodies are prisons for our souls. Death turns all to ash, and thus death frees every soul. Which is funny to yeah. like have this line come from our from ostensibly <laughs> like our villain in, in the at least in one section of and the antagonist for sure. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that's, I mean, that is that kind of Cartesian dualist vision. Yes. Which, I don't know, I'm not, I'm anti-dualist. Yeah, I, my, my, in my limited study of philosophy or like when I was younger, um, I do appreciate Descartes for what he did in in the course of like the history of philosophy. contribution is important. Yeah, and um, in math too, like he created like the idea of a graph basically. Um, But yeah, I don't. That idea is still kind of com- like weirdly very pervasive oh, it's today. Extremely, I think it. I mean, a lot of it is like the Christian, the kind of Christian yes. ideology that is influenced by mm-hmm. people like Descartes. You know what I mean? And, and isn't isn't ironically isn't kind of or like Saint Augustine too? I think. Oh yeah, he was he was a big one. But isn't like ancient philosophy and modern philosophy? Isn't Descartes like the divided line between those two? I, I could be that, incorrect. Yeah, I kind of. I think maybe you would consider Descartes the beginning of the Enlightenment, potentially. Right, and and to take a very uh, Cartesian dualistic view of it, like because there's ancient and then modern philosophy. That that that's how it was explained to me at one point. Um, I guess it's kind of ironic that Descartes would be the the, the divide in line there, but um, but yeah, your 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 idea that. Christianity directly like introduces and embraces and kind of perpetuates this idea of a difference between mind and body. Yeah. Um, there's definitely that strong follow through throughout like all sects of Christianity. And that kind of like idealist notion too, of an eternal outside of like an outside of the universal, like, you know, I kind of mentioned that too, that Spinozist view of Mm -hmm. like everything being, one substance that's antithetical to cartesian right yeah conception so yeah. that's an and that's an opposition and the christian vision is like yes there's like your yeah you have a body but the body dies the soul goes on, what lives yeah. on in eternity and so that's saying like okay your soul exists outside of like a material right world right and um i like that you brought up all, all this idea of like this Christian perspective because there is a lot of Christian imagery in this movie um, very obviously with the the Spanish Inquisition um, but the idea of like I was saying the the conquistador he gets stabbed and he receives one of the wounds of Christ um, the the space Tommy he he partakes of communion from the tree like he literally eats it like a like you would a the com- body of communion away for it yeah yeah, um, yeah and I, I think one the tree, of the cross that the tree of life like right. the, the, I mean they even talk about the story of Genesis in the in the film too. Yeah, definitely. And um, I, I think one of the more subtle themes of this movie is like it's presenting or it gives a depiction of sacrifice um, because it gives a depiction of sacrifice, but it makes you feel the weight of that sacrifice to, to create more life because um, there, there, that idea of like, Oh, Jesus sacrificed himself to, 
to give us all eternal life. That that's such like a repeated thing throughout Christianity and Catholicism, just like endless. Oh, it, yeah, Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Everyone knows that. But like that making making that sacrifice felt is very very hard um, in a lot of stories. But like you feel it in this one because. I don't want to say like you pay for what you get for every time, but you, you feel the cost every time in all three uh, arcs of the, of the segments. It's interesting too, that, I mean, that definitely that Christ metaphor is there in that first father story. That's like part of the alleged, like quote unquote, Mayan mythos. Right. Although I don't know if that really is like legit or not. (laughs) Yeah, as as historical. It, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, like the idea of like the monomyth per- pervading all cultures and in all religions and in having these common um, these common attributes that are just retold throughout different different cultures. That I don't, it's, it sounds valid. I think one interesting, like one contradiction to bring up that is interesting is this like idea of of creative destruction. Of like death being yeah. the road to awe. Yeah. Um about a read which ties into kind of like the the Christ mythos as well as the kind of Mayan mythos that we're given. Mm-hmm. And obviously the the sort of quote unquote sacrifice that our future Tommy does or goes through to to rejuvenate the tree of life. In the Mayans themselves, like the the peoples of of ancient um central and south america like the, the mayan kingdoms the Aztec kingdoms they would sacri- they would make sacrifices daily so that the sun would rise again every day um so like along with giving the conquistador this like exotic and, and appropriate like like timeline appropriate location for him to go to um it, it has more thematic resonance um than is just like apparent on the face of it oh when one question, this is backtracking quite a bit, but do you remember the scene in the hospital? I think it's right after Izzy's passed away. Mm-hmm. Tommy sees an old older gentleman and yeah. he's looks yeah. like he's like struggling to breathe mm-hmm. and he's got a ring on his finger. Like I wonder it's like what what was the point of that character like in terms of this was shortly before Izzy dies, but it was after Tommy had lost his own ring. Um, and I, I think the, the, the complete mirror inversion of himself, um, seeing a man who retained his wedding ring, but the man was alone and dying. Oh yeah. Uh, it really drives, okay. it really drives home. Like, Oh, I, I lost all this time, but this man has all his time, but he's still alone. And it, it just heightens the gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cause I wasn't sure like if that was, if there was like this linear tie-in to the conquistador or that's an old Tommy somehow, or like this weird sure, like yeah. this time time thing. But I think you're probably, I think it was a lot more direct and not as intricate as yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I think you're right. I think that's a, a good way to interpret that scene. But I always got, I kind of wondered, it's felt a bit weird. Like it yeah. was like, you're supposed to take notice of that obviously, but I wasn't, it, it would i i think it would be a lot more nebulous it's too con it's too convoluted in con yeah it, 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 to it would make it linear the the close-up shot that we get on the on the old man wearing his wedding ring still kind of really sealed it for me i think gotcha okay uh, i like it i'll i'll buy that um <laughs> let's see i don't know i feel like we've uh pretty well exhausted 
my thoughts on the film, unless you have anything. Um, just to quickly tie back into my my view that this movie really makes you feel like the weight of sacrifice a lot uh, better than most other sacrificial stories I can think of. Um, it It's good because it, it portrays kind of a more holistic and um, positive and life-affirming view of sacrifice, an alternative view of sacrifice than that provided by Christianity. I, I think this is... I mean, I assume this this is a very um, autobiographical movie to some extent. I'm sure Aronofsky put a lot of his own um, his own dealings with loss into this movie, um, but as well as his dealings with uh, Christianity, because I I know he, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I really do want to see his Noah movie now. Yeah. Um, well, what's interesting? I mean, pretty sure Aronofsky himself is is Jewish. I don't know if he's sure like an actual practicing. But culturally background, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. At least um, culturally. Yeah. I and feel I mean, like that, he's got to be some like he's got to be an atheist, but he's like me that yes. he's so immersed in that. And I think you too. Like. Yeah. I, you know I, I mean, you're so like. I'm, I'm public about I early I, on in your life. I grew up very enmeshed in Catholicism for 20 years, and then I abruptly left it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it it affects you, and um, his Jewishness also makes a lot more sense in in. Uh, put in this movie in the time of the, the Spanish Inquisition because the Inquisitor was killing Jews and that um, like, like that's what the Spanish Inquisition was about and yeah that kind of puts it a lot in, a lot more into perspective for me basically this is Aronofsky, Aronofsky saying Christianity has a flawed um, con- conception of sacrifice but it can still work if if you put yourself into it too you know, it's interesting too, just, this is just random, but, um, so Spinoza was also mm-hmm. Jewish and he like lived in the Netherlands okay. and, uh, was excommunicated from, <laughs> for being a heretic. From Judaism? Yes. That's yeah, wild. From like the, from like the Jewish community <laughs> sure. in, in the Netherlands. Damn. But yeah. He was a heretic. Okay. And like, it's wild too. I was like looking up his, uh wikipedia page and shit and they have like a house that he lived in for a couple of years is mm. is still there <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> from yeah. like the 1600s and shit jesus yeah and it's a museum talk about like and you can like see like there his there's like his bookshelf is there and shit talk about things that like <laughs> persist through the ages right? and yeah damn books and shit yeah and yeah i'm sure i'm put i'm putting a little more like christian centric conception of a lot of the under underpinnings of this movie but um i mean that's what you bring to movies you bring yourself to movies and i think this this movie in particular um really makes a case for that like you 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 put you you spend some time on these movies and you put yourself into them and um in a way you sacrifice time up to movies and you you gain something in return what do you think so overall like didn't even ask you this earlier but uh how what are your like what are your feelings just did you enjoy it? Yeah. I, um, I think when we, when we turned it off, the first thing I said to you was like, Whoa, I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought it would. And I, I don't, I don't mean that necessarily as a slight against Aronofsky or this movie in particular. Um, I, I just know his reputation. He's kind of divisive, especially among my friends that aren't a film. Um, he's pretty divisive, but, and and I wasn't expecting this movie not to be good. I just wasn't expecting it to be what it was. I, I kind of had this idea that like it was oh, time, past, present, future, time bullshit, but like um, it made that case convincingly for me. And yeah, I, I did. I do enjoy this movie. Nice. Well, yeah, I think that uh, that wraps up my thoughts. Everything yeah. I have to say about the fountain. Um, yeah. So I will let you 
do, do your plugs. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. As mentioned at the beginning, um, I run a movie left leftist movie podcast with my friend Lewis, uh, Proletarian Contrarian. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Proletarian C. Um, we have a we have a SoundCloud. That's where we upload most things. And yeah, we just have a good time. We go through crappy movies. Um, we give them a leftist read, and we try to find good things in bad movies. So once again, thanks so much to uh, to my friend Nick. Thank at you, Stellar Boar. Yes. Um, a couple of notes for us. Again, you um, if you feel so inclined to be awesome, um, especially in these crazy times. Yeah. Who knows how long uh, your boy will have a job moving forward. So yes. <laughs> check it, check us out on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash M-U-H-H on Twitter at Unconscious H-H and on Instagram as Unconscious H-H. But this is going to be Cooper Cherry and the Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour signing off. The very rules of eating, of negativity and singularity. Including the ultimate form of singularity, which is podcast.